Welcome to the CRE Exchange Podcast, where we deep dive into the global trends and challenges of CRE professionals across all sectors of the commercial real estate industry. We engage with experts in the space to bring you innovative insights into industry practices, opportunities, and challenges to better inform your decisions. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of CRE Exchange. I'm Cole Perry, your host and senior market analyst, Altus Group, a leading provider of asset and fund intelligence. I'm joined by Omar Elturai, our U.S. Director of Research. Together, we'll share the latest news and trends in the U.S. commercial real estate market. Omar, it's good to be with you. Glad to be here. So today is January 29th, but I want to hear what caught your attention in the last couple of weeks. I know it's been pretty busy. Yeah, we'll start top of the house with a lot of central bank activity. So starting on the 18th of January, the Bank of Japan, I would say, is solidly in the pause camp as it had no change and held its benchmark short-term overnight gold rate steady at uh, a negative 10 basis points. This marks the sixth consecutive meeting without a change. And while the bank continues to pursue its ultra-loose monetary policy, it's doing so really in an effort to stimulate economic growth and combat deflation. That's, I would say, maybe not entirely unique, but is amongst the larger banks and larger economies that definitely stands out while everybody else is trying to tame inflation. But then on the 20th, People's Bank of China, they made some changes to the reserve ratio requirement. And so what they announced is that this requirement will be cut by 50 basis points starting in early February and should provide around 1 trillion yuan in long-term capital to the Chinese economy. And this is the first reduction in the reserve requirements this year, but it does follow two cuts from last year. The PBOC also said that there's room for further monetary policy easing and announced that there will be new policy to support the loans for high-quality real estate developers. Their real estate sector is going through pretty, pretty significant, I would say, crisis, and they're plays a very significant role in their economy, and their central bank is stepping up efforts to support that. Then on the 24th, the Bank of Canada held its target rate for the overnight rate at 5%, with the bank rate at 5.25%, and the deposit rate at 5%, keeping its monetary policy in restrictive territory. I read a number of articles around this restrictive territory is not appreciated by many business leaders and a lot of calls for the central bank to to start easing. Then hopping over to Europe on the 25th, the ECB or the European Central Bank really in their press conference really stressed the bank's reliance on data when making decisions. Because that is a common thread that crosses the Atlantic. And ultimately the ECB is holding rates where they are for now. But markets are signaling that they expect cuts could start and be on the docket as early as this summer. And then finally, back home to the U.S., while we are recording on Monday the 29th, it's a big week for the Fed, which should be sharing its policy rate decision with markets on the 31st. Looking at futures markets, there's a pretty clear majority of investors anticipating no change at this first meeting. If you look at the odds of cuts throughout this year, the markets are really pricing in 
at least six cuts starting potentially as early as March, which would be the next meeting. Now, this is six cuts if each cut were 25 basis points, or in total, markets are anticipating 150 basis points or 1.5% in total cuts for 2024. This is really in sharp contrast to the Fed's approximate three cuts or 75 basis points expected through the year. Even though we are just starting 2024 or about a month in, really, I think all eyes are still very much on the Fed and interest rates. And then I'm going to hop outside of the central bank land and touch on PCE and personal income and outlays that was released last week. Personal income increased by 60 billion or about 30 basis points at a monthly rate in December. And personal consumption expenditures or PCE increased at 133.9 billion or 70 basis points at a monthly rate. Now, the PCE price index increased 0.2% month on month or 2.6% year on year. And core PCE, which excludes food and energy, increased 20 basis points month on month or 2.9% year on year during the final month of 2023. Overall, this was a, a welcome print for the market as it really shows that the strength of the, the U.S. consumer in terms of ability and willingness to spend and coupled this with the inflationary read and inflationary pressures really goes to the, the whole narrative that either a soft or no landing really seems to be possible for the U.S. economy. And Cole, I know you were looking at some macro indicators as well. What did you see? Yeah, last week was a, a big release week. And the one I was paying attention to was GDP's Bureau of Economic Analysis released its advance estimate for the fourth quarter of 2023 and for real GDP. And it showed a seasonally adjusted annualized growth rate of 3.3%. So that really blew past economist expectations of, of 2%. And just like you mentioned, the bulk of that growth came from personal consumption. So about 1.9% of that 3.3%. That was followed by government consumption, which is about 0.56% net exports. So that was 0.3%. And uh, private investment came in at the bottom of that heap at 0.4%. But the bottom line here is that the U.S. economy grew sort of way faster than a lot expected in the fourth quarter. So even as job growth slows, consumer spending cools, housing market remains relatively frozen, the consumer is very strong and inflation is continuing to subside. As you mentioned earlier, the market has priced in some of these potential cuts and REITs have definitely already priced this in. And so it should be interesting to see what happens this week and then probably later as the market reacts. But I know that's not the only thing you were looking at. The, last week, we got some information on leading economic indicators. You want to tell us about those? Yeah. So on the 22nd of January, the conference board released its leading economic index or LEI, which provides an early indication of significant turning points in the business cycle and where the economy is heading in the near term. And in December, the index fell by 10 basis points to 103.1. Now, this minor decline comes after a 50 basis point decline in November. And the trend is that even though there are declines in the overall index, these declines are getting smaller and smaller. And in the most recent release, six of the 10 leading indicators that really make up the index 
were positive. But despite the positivity of these constituents or components, they were more than offset by really three other components. So that was uh, weak manufacturing, high interest rate environment, as well as rather depressed but improving consumer confidence. In the press release, the conference board noted that they expect GDP growth to turn negative in Q2 and Q3 of 2024, but begin to recover late in the year. I thought this was a pretty interesting read. This is an index that I do like to follow, and I felt as though that call for Q2, Q3 contraction, where it seems to break a little bit more of the broader narrative. And so I know that you were looking at consumer sentiment. What did you see? Yeah, I think these pair quite interestingly. There's been a kind of a change over the last few months in consumer sentiment. You know, we were at historic lows. However, in January, it jumped 13% over the month prior. So it's now at its highest level since 2021. As we were exiting the pandemic, there was a, a huge surge in, in economic activity with all that money pumped into the economy. But we're still well below the 2014 to 2019 average. The quote from University of Michigan, who operates the Consumer Sentiment Survey, said that for the second straight month, all five index components rose and there was a 27% surge in short-run outlook for business conditions and a 14% gain in current personal finances, which I thought was quite interesting because you're hearing possibilities of consumer credit deterioration. I think we covered that a little bit on an episode or two ago, but quite interesting. And I think uh, one of the big components into people's perceptions of their personal finances is housing. One of the other things that I was looking at this past week, we got data on new and existing home sales. So the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, tracks existing home sales, and they showed 3.8 million existing home sales in December. The National Association of Realtors, on the other hand, shows uh, new home sales, and those clocked in at 660,000. So a combined total of around four and a half million, uh, which is down still 5% from a year ago, which is down quite a bit from the year prior. Historically speaking, new home sales have made up around 10% of all single family home sales. So only talking about single family here for the time being. In December, they actually made up 15%. So the total volume was 27% below the average month for any period since 2000 or any monthly period. Take all this in, high mortgage interest rates continue to keep existing homes off the market. You've seen that reflected in the fraction of sales that are in new homes, because that's really the only supply that's that a lot of the supply that's coming online. But I think for us in our industry, the, the chronic housing supply shortage and these high mortgage interest rates still a boon for those in the build to rent or multifamily sectors. So quite interesting stuff there. I think one of the other things that me and you have looked at over the past few weeks, that's a good barometer for where the economy is going. A lot of the data points we look at lag a bit, but we do get some good commentary from earnings calls. You were looking at regional banks. You want to tell us what you saw there? Yeah. So I tuned into a few calls and then otherwise rent transcripts for others were very much knee deep in earnings. And yeah, more transcripts than I had time. But looking at a number of the regional banks that have reported fourth quarter earnings, call out a, a few quick trends and themes that I'm seeing across the calls and in the transcripts. 
So the first is that many of the regional banks are reporting declines in total deposits and net interest margins, or NIM. This is both quarter over quarter, from third quarter to fourth quarter of 2023, as well as uh, year on year. Two banks, Truist and KeyCorp, were, I would say, rare, and they were actually able to report sequential NIM increases during the fourth quarter, but these remained below 10 basis points. Another theme is that year-over-year earnings trends were overall down in the fourth quarter, and many of these institutions are finding it a bit difficult to post positive earnings gains. And then the third theme that I would call out is partially because it's this podcast, is the focus on commercial real estate. So from Truist, they noted structural challenges in commercial real estate, particularly in office. No surprise. They anticipate seeing more risk materializing across the sector, not necessarily in their credit book, but across assets that have leases coming due and people and companies really resize their space needs. I know that there's a lot of focus on office, but during the call, they were able to add some color to to further that conversation. And then another piece on CRE is coming from M&T. They continue to build their ALLL or their loan loss reserve and ultimately built it to 1.59 of their total loans. This is up 13 basis points from year-end 2022. And this build was primarily driven by CRE loans. But they also had a lot of good commentary in there and received a lot of questions focused on CRE. And during the Q&A portion of the call, they, they did mention that they've, they've gone through nearly 60% of their entire CRE book, really for risk monitoring and risk review. And when asked what type of declines they've seen in terms of values, they said on average, they've seen roughly 20% decline in values across their book and the loans that they reviewed. And Cole, I believe you were looking at some transportation and airlines. What did you hear? Yeah, you know, I think we tend to track when we listen to earnings calls, we have those sectors that are directly related to CRE. You've got the REITs and then you've got banks who finance those transactions, just like you were talking about. But one of the sectors that's really interesting to me that I think we can glean a lot from is the airline sectors. One of the first things that you cut as a consumer is your travel spend. And so I think they feel the brunt of that. But also, this is a good indicator of what hospitality might look like in the coming months. All the big four airlines, so United, Delta, American, and Southwest, which make up a little bit more than two-thirds of total market share in the U.S., they've all reported up to this date. They all saw a revenue increase. American led that pack with 19%. United saw a 14% jump in revenue. They each had about $17 billion in revenue. Profitability results were a bit mixed. So American, Delta, and United had positive net income. Southwest, interestingly, reported a net loss. But the commentary from these is really where where it gets interesting. So all airlines did note strong demand for leisure travel. This is something we've heard in various other indicators that the consumer is still very strong here in the United States. But a lot of that travel is for international, right? We're still feeling a lot of demand for international travel. There is still lagging demand for a lot of business travel. I've noticed, at least when I've been booking flights, that they now ask. I think even on American, they force you to choose whether you're you're flying for business or for personal travel. And so they're saying that business travel remains pretty slow. And I think there's an obvious impact there for certain types of hospitality, your convention, hotels, and 
other large format. So quite interesting stuff there. Other business-oriented hospitality sectors. All the airlines are concerned a bit about capacity constraints. So this is impacting their profitability, probably leading as well to higher fares and impacting general travel affordability, which I think can have direct impact on some of the, we'll call them lower cost destinations that a lot of these airlines tend to fly to. So it should be interesting as we enter 2024. So overall, rosier picture for the airline industry. They did have a great quarter. Leisure travel is driving a lot of their growth. Business travel is lagging. I think it could pose some challenges for hospitality going forward, but still seems like a, a strong consumer here in the U.S. that is spending. There's quite a positive outlook, and you, that was reflected in a lot of the commentary from executives on these calls. So super interesting stuff there. I don't know if you had any thoughts on the hospitality industry, but I found that to be quite interesting. Yeah, I think hospitality has been booming and largely driven by that consumer who has gotten a higher wage or is making more money and is willing to spend. I think it's especially the airlines will be an interesting gauge on to see if and when and by how much any sort of consumer pullback really materializes. And I think the airlines are a good gauge on the landing that the economy might have. But rather than me rambling on around consumer spending, I know you recently wrote a piece on a different type of spending. And you want to share some of that? Yeah. So I've got a new piece live on the Altus Insights page about particularly the grocery sector. And the idea behind this piece is that with these post-pandemic transitions, we've got some diversity in different spending categories due to some of these trends, right? We have the rise in remote work, the popularity of digital entertainment. And so these have forced spending into different categories or cut them out of more traditional ones. So the brick and mortar retail sector, though, has really enjoyed an unexpected rally recently, but this is varied by tenant types. In recent quarters, and particularly with quarter four data coming in, those tenant types tied closely to housing and construction have seen big year-on-year -year declines. But grocery and general merchandise, so that's inclusive of, say, Walmart and Target, have seen big growth in line with their pre-pandemic trend. So we know grocery was a big bright spot during the pandemic. And we looked at some data that suggested those centers anchored by grocery have big key performance advantages over other types of strip retail. So higher occupancy, fewer tenants rolling in the short term, and they've had these advantages even going into the pandemic. So I think a uh, sector definitely worth watching. And uh, property transactions are down across all the major categories, something we've talked about plenty of times on the podcast, but there are some encouraging signs for retail. So at least in the quarter three, NACRI Odyssey Index, retail actually exceeded all the other sectors. So as we get the fourth quarter data on that, and maybe as we get some other data on advanced retail spending, I'll probably update that piece, but it's live on the Altus website. If you, our listeners want to take a look, but Really enjoyed digging into grocery retail trends. It's a, a sector that I'm quite interested in. But I know you have some other announcements of stuff that's up on the website too. You want to tell us what's going on with the CRE sentiment and expectation survey? Certainly. So the commercial real estate industry conditions and sentiment survey is live. We've done a few iterations of this survey over the last couple of quarters. The survey is intended to really help gather insights into the market sentiment, conditions, 
key metrics and really issues affecting the CRE industry as a whole. And it really dives into these topics from the individual practitioner's perspective, representing really all functions and up and down the capital stack. It is open for everybody to participate in. I highly encourage you to participate in it. And it is anonymous, but if you do provide your email at the end of the survey, we will send you all the data that backs the results. So I encourage you to take it and share it with your colleagues, share it with your associates and, and any professional or anybody in CRE who you think might be interested in either getting the insights or also getting the data behind it. But I know that we have a pretty busy macro and economic release schedule ahead this week. So Cole, what should folks be paying attention to? Yeah, this is not an exhaustive list. There are a bunch of data releases this week and some we've already discussed, but on the 30th. So by the time we would have, this would have been released, we'll have consumer confidence data along with the FOMC's rate decision. So the Fed's rate decision. And then on the 1st, so February 1st, we have the ISM manufacturing index. Construction spending also comes out that day. And then on the 2nd, we'll have payroll data, unemployment and average hourly earnings. So getting a lot of different ideas about the job market this week. So that's what I'll be paying attention to. And hopefully we can report some of that data back to folks in a couple of weeks. But Omar, I think that is all the time we've got today. I look forward to speaking with you on another episode of CRE Exchange. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the CRE Exchange podcast powered by Altus Group. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. At Altus, we bring together capabilities across technology, analytics, valuations, tax, and development advisory services. We are guided by bold thinking, integrity, and inclusivity, partnering with CRE professionals to maximize opportunities with exceptional service experience. Find out more at altusgroup.com.